Amen. Hey, y'all can have a seat. Hey, if uh, you're new to Crossroad, um, a couple times a semester, um, um, I will be up here instead of Greg, and it's always an honor to do that because if you're a regular, you know how highly Greg holds the scriptures up and the way that we walk through them, and so for him to kind of say, hey, here's a, an opportunity for you is always really special for me. I am the college pastor here. I'm up here a lot. I'm saying hi, welcome, greet people around you, but I'm the college pastor here um, at Fellowship, so I have, really have a heart for um, you all, you students, and um, so when he gives me the opportunity, it, it is with um, weight and excitement and expectation that I normally come because I spend a lot of my time with you all. Um, obviously not all of you, but some of you, and just kind of hearing your story and where God, um, where the scriptures, what we read and hear week in and week out, and where your lives are kind of intersecting, and more times than not, um, for you and for me, we kind of go, well, here's what I'm hearing, um, and here's my life, and the intersection seems to either not be happening or it seems that we're doing a head-on collision a lot because what I'm hearing in my life seemed to be kind of becoming this crash course of they don't seem to be matching up that well. Um, so tonight I'm really excited to be here and talk about a story that's very familiar to all of us. Some of us have been this story. Um, you were like called out as a child and they're like, you, my friend, are going to be a shepherd. And you were like, oh, that's so awesome. And then others of you who didn't get to be the shepherd, you got to be the actual sheep. And you thought, this is lame because now I'm an animal in the Jesus story. And like the older brother was always Jesus, even though Jesus was supposed to be a baby, but he always fought for the Jesus character. And so, because he just wanted to like run around the house in his underwear and be like, these are my swaddling clothes. And you're like, put on some clothes, man. And you're like, but I'll be a sheep and you be the shepherd. And so tonight we look at the shepherd's story, um, which is incredible. And I've really been praying um, that something that's so familiar, God might breathe something new tonight. Um, that something, even as I know that your lives right now are maxed out because it's Thanksgiving week and so you've got a few things you've got to do before you go home or stay home or don't even want to think about being home with your family. And I've, just re I've, I've really been praying that tonight the scripture that maybe you've heard since you were a child and you've seen it acted out, that maybe tonight God would breathe something fresh on it. So I'm going to pray again for us. And um, we'll get started. Jesus, I do pray that again, just that you would open up your word to us. Um, we can't make something new. And so I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would do what only you could do, and that be um, awaken our hearts and our minds to you. Please, God, do what only you can do. Because when you do that, you receive glory, and that's what we desire. So we pray all this in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Um, here's something that I think is universal. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it's universal. That if I was to ask right now, like at the end of my little talk here, if I was to say, hey, and I had a list, and I pulled out my list, and it had five names on it, and I will say, hey, we need to see the following five people at the back after Crossroad. Everybody that knows that individual is looking around going, <laughs> right? Or maybe tomorrow in one of your lectures, like your professor's doing whatever it is that they do in their lecture, they're talking like crazy, they're blowing your minds with new stuff, or they're boring you with old stuff, and all of a sudden the door cracks and like one of the deans walks in, or just some other student that's representing a dean walks in and goes, we need to see the following students in the hall, right? All across the room, people go, 
Ooh, uh, like nobody's going, oh, good. I, I'm so glad I got to be that person, right? If you get a call from the IRS and they're going, hey, we need to talk to you about your taxes. You're not going, yeah, I was hoping you'd call me this week. If you get a call from your parents, most of the time you're not going, yes, I'm so excited. If you were up in your room and they go, I need you downstairs right now. Most of the time, nobody was going, I bet they bought me a gift. I bet you they're going to call me out into the hall because they want to congratulate me for being in class today. And they've got hot Krispy Kreme donuts to congratulate all these random students. I bet the IRS is telling me, don't worry about this year. More than likely, when somebody's contacting you in authority, we assume, oh no, what have I done? What did they find out about me? I've been made. Like they now know my deepest, darkest secrets. They know that I'm playing on the computer. I'm not taking notes. They know that my iPad is primarily a game system, not something for me to jot down notes. My parents know what I've done with the money they've been giving me. My parents found something on the computer. They looked at my phone and saw some of my text messages. If I call you to the back and you get nervous, I don't know What's your nerve? You got issues if you're like, oh, the crossroad people called me out. But right, regardless of who you are, if authority calls you out, for the most part, you're not going, oh, good. For the most part, when authority calls us out, we go, oh, no. And it's, it's interesting if you really stop to think about it. It's pretty universal. I mean, I've even been in places when somebody says, hey, we need to see the following person. And it's like, you don't even have to say, and on three, one, two, three. It just happens that they go, we need to see, oh. Isn't that weird that that's like in you? Isn't that weird that that's like in us? And here's what I would say about it. I think it's in us because we all know to some level that we are guilty people. And it doesn't matter who the authority is, if you get called out by them, you assume they found something that I'm guilty of. Even if you think you're a good person, you do not delight in your name being called by an authority figure. As a matter of fact, regardless of how good you are, when an authority steps in and says, I am making an exception and I need to see one, two, three, a handful of people, we almost always run to the negative of going, I've gotten busted. They found my secret stash. They now know my girlfriend told on me something happened, right? And I would even go as far as to say that Scripture tells us that this is just part of humanity. That when authority enters into the picture, we're afraid of authority. Because of the guilt that is within us, if you have your Bibles, before we get to Luke, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. But Scripture tells us what's happened here. If you know the story of Genesis, the first two chapters is God doing what God does so well. He's being creative. God's creating things. He's calling it good. He's setting man and woman up in paradise. And he's saying, everything's yours except that one little tree. Don't mess with the one little tree. We know the story that the serpent is more crafty than all the other animals. The serpent comes along, convinces the woman that that's not really what God was talking about. They decide, the man and the woman, I think we should probably try this fruit out. And then what happens? They try the fruit that God said, just don't touch that one tree. And all of a sudden they can tell that things are different. And so in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, it says this. This is after they've eaten the fruit. This is after they've sinned. They've done what God asked them not to do. And it says this in Genesis chapter three. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
It's incredible, isn't it? That the first thing it tells us about humanity is because of our guilt, we naturally want to hide. We are people who want to hide. We do it in different ways. Some of us hide by covering and masking. Some of us hide by literally running away from any place that we might be found out. One of the ways in which we hide is we surround ourselves with other people who are hiding from the same thing. You know, if, if you were to draw this picture out, Adam and Eve find a bunch of trees and they're like, you get behind that one, I'll get behind this one. And they're like looking at each other, playing that game. And that's what we do sometimes, right? We surround ourselves with like-minded people thinking we all agree that this is crazy. So we just won't ever talk about it. And we'll hide from the fact that we're struggling here, that we believe this wrong thing, that we're into something that we should not be into. And we hide ourselves hoping maybe they'll never know. Maybe nobody will ever know that this is where I struggle. Maybe nobody will ever know that this is what I'm dealing with. Maybe nobody will ever know about that weekend if we make a pinky promise. Maybe if I just erase that weekend, that photo album from Facebook, no one will ever know. I'll act like it doesn't exist and I'll just keep living my life. But we hide because of this guilt that is within us. And the next verse, verse nine says this, but the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he, Adam, responded and said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So the first thing we hear about humanity after its goodness and after its fall is that because of the sin in us, we naturally want to hide and we're naturally afraid people. We naturally just have this heart that is full of fear and then wants to hide from anything that might reveal who we really are. And so that's who we are. That's the story of the Old Testament, that we are people who because of sin in our life want to hide and are just full of fear in different ways. And it manifests itself in different ways in all of us. But I would be willing to say that all of us, because of sin, are people that are hiding and are people that are fearful. And we see that to be true as well in the story that we're looking at tonight. Luke chapter two, well, let's flip over there and read this really familiar story. Because here's what's interesting about the Christmas story. It's appropriate that we're covering this heading into Advent, starting this Sunday, heading into the Advent season, knowing the Christmas story. We head into it this week and what's so interesting is that the Christmas story, if we really knew it and if we really believed it, not if we just knew it in our heads, but if we knew it in our heart, it erases what happens in Genesis chapter three. That the Christmas story is the culmination of God saying, I'm erasing the fear that resides within you because of your sin, because of your separation from God, because all of us, Scripture says, have chosen to go our own way because all of us are condemned by our sin, because all of us are afraid of being known really. The Christmas story enters in and says, I'm gonna get rid of all of that. The Christmas story is God's beautiful picture that we see from the beginning of Scripture. The Christmas story is God saying, here comes the answer to that fear, to you hiding and we see it so beautifully in a bunch of people who are unexpected. We see God start to tell his story in a completely 
normal way to us because we know the Bible and because we have glow-in-the-dark nativities in our yard and because we see them everywhere. We know the story. We know about the guy with the staff. We know about the shepherds. We know about Mary and Joseph and how they were perfect and how they glowed. We know all that. But to the reader of this story, to the audience that is real right here, this is completely unexpected. A couple of weeks ago, Greg even talked about how the gospel entered into a time of incredible peace because of what Rome had done. Because of all the land that Rome had conquered, the gospel was able to spread like crazy because of the peace which the Roman authorities had established. They were so strong, the Pax Romana we talked about. And wouldn't it have made sense if you're going, hey, I'm about to start unveiling the rest of the story. If you're God, you go, so you better hold on, Colosseum, because you have like fights with like bears and tigers. Like you think that's intense? That probably never happened in the Colosseum. Um, but you think that's intense? Like if I'm God, I'm going, I want to see when they've got the place filled with water and there's like an epic battle going on on ships, you know, like they did that in the Colosseum. If I'm God, I'm thinking I want the biggest battle to be going on and that's when I'm coming down in an angel. That's when I'm sending my angel. It's right in the middle of everybody going, wow! And like they're cheering back and forth. Rome! Caesar! Like they probably would never have chanted that, but you know, like they're just going nuts and then all of a sudden, oh! angel enters into the scene and God goes, now it's time for my story. Now I'm going to reveal myself to you and I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. But instead, and in a completely unexpected way, God says, I want to start dealing with your just desire to hide and the fear that resides within all of you in a completely unexpected way. Luke chapter two, verse eight. In the same region, that region is where Jesus was born. We just talked about in the first seven verses, the birth of Christ. So in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. See, even as I start to read it, don't you kind of start to feel like a child again? Going, oh, this is cute. I love Christmas. And out in the, region, out in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. It's dark. They do not have phones that like, they can hold up. They do not have Google Star. Like they do not know what's going on. All they're doing is looking up going, wow, that's big and dark. They're probably making fun of each other. They're probably very bored. They're probably told all the stories they know to tell. Pitch black dark. They're shepherds. They're outcasts. They probably smell. They do smell. They don't probably, they stink. They deal with animals and it's nighttime. So they even draw the short straw, these shepherds did. Who wants to do the night shift? Everybody's looking for, well, I've got to go. You got nothing to do, shepherd. You're doing the night shift. They just draw that straw. It's dark, it's nasty, and all they're doing is going, when if there's a wolf? When if there's a wild dog? Was that you? Hey, Bob, quit messing with the sheep again. I'm trying to, you know, like, it's just, it's not a cool place to be right now. They're not thinking, this is what I dreamed of being my entire life. Verse 9, in the middle of that dark, nasty story, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fear filled with fear. That's one of those things Luke doesn't need to put in there, right? I mean, like if you're out in the field and it's dark and you're watching sheep, 
You're a shepherd your whole life. Like you know nothing else but shepherding. And all of a sudden it's dark and an angel of the Lord shows up and the glory of the Lord shines around you. The word for shines around you, like shown is actually how it says here. But the word that right there, the only other place in the entire New Testament where it's used is when Paul is talking and he's describing his Damascus Road experience. And he's saying, I was walking down the road and kabam, all of a sudden, a light's shining around me. So the power of this word is only used one other time in all of scripture, and it's to describe Paul's experience with Jesus. So this is a powerful thing. This isn't like somebody going, who's lighting a candle? Oh, that's not a candle, that's an angel. Like this is something that they're going, (laughs) like they're amazed right now. And it says, and they were filled with fear. Yes, Luke, they were, and rightly so. They're sitting out there with animals, and all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord is around them. And here they become, just like us, that the authority shows up on the scene, and instantly they're filled with fear. And here's what's interesting. The angel says this. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. So the angel shows up and he says, whatever just went through your mind when I showed up, you need to get rid of that. Like whatever went through your mind just then when I showed up and you were terrified, you don't need to fear that anymore because you were thinking something that was inappropriate in that moment. You think it was right to be terrified, but I'm showing up with a new message of you don't need to be terrified anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. Fear not. Just because you know what's going on in your heart, just because you know the things that you've done, just because you know the way you've skimmed off the top as a shepherd, just because of the way you've cut corners in the past, you don't have to be afraid. I'm coming to bring you a different story. And it says this, for behold, you don't have to fear, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So the the angel shows up and The angel says, here's what I need you to hear, shepherds, unexpected people. Fear not, for I'm bringing you good news. I'm not bringing you average news. I'm not bringing you fair news. I'm not bringing you trivial news. This is not news that's boring. This is good news. And then the best part is that they keep saying, For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This good news that we're bringing is not for good people. Isn't that what we expect though? Like in our fear. And when you start talking about God relating to you, don't you start to go, yeah, 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 I know the story. I've heard about how the angel showed up. I know that Jesus came, but he brought good news for good people. And we all know that that's not true, but in us, in me, don't we sort of believe that God showed up and said, I'm bringing good news for good people. I'm bringing good news for people that are working hard. I'm bringing good news for good students. I'm bringing good news for good like kids. I'm bringing good news for people that are applying themselves. I'm bringing good news for people that are at the top of their class. I'm bringing good news for obedient children. I'm bringing good news for good stewards of their money. But instead it says, no, I'm bringing this good news for all people. So regardless of what kind of person you are, this is the kind of news we're bringing and it's good. 
because the news that we're bringing has very little to do with you and a whole lot to do with the God that we represent. We're not here to tell you about yourself, shepherds. We're here to tell you about the God who sent us. Our coming is not to tell you who you are. Our coming is to tell you who he is. And because of who he is, this is good news for all people. It doesn't matter how you've related to God in the past because God's changing everything right now with what I'm bringing. And some of you right now are going, uh-huh, that is a good sermon. Like, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I... And you don't really believe Christmas. You don't really believe that when the angels showed up, they said, we've got good news for all people. Not righteous people, there aren't any. Not church attenders, not Bible drillers, not RAs and GAs and Awanas and all those good people. Not for the young life and the crusade and the RUFers. It's not for those people, it's for all people. That's who he showed up for. And some of you go, yeah, but my story is you don't believe the part where it says it's good news for all. You think your story trumps the good news. You think the fear that's within you, the sin that has separated you from God, somehow trumps the good news that was delivered. And the angel shows up and says, no, this is good news for all people. God wants us to start relating to him based on what he has done, not on what we have done. The angel shows up and says, God now wants you to relate to him, relate to God based on who he is, not on who you are. No longer are you supposed to relate to God out of fear because you relate to God out of fear when you think it's contingent upon what you're doing. Right? I mean, in the Old Testament, the priests that would go before the Lord, they were fearful Why? Because if we mess up, he kills us. That's a good reason to be be afraid. If you mess up, I'll kill you. I'm fearful then. And so the angel shows up and says, God's changing that now. The fulfillment of what he's been doing forever is coming. And I'm the angel that gets to bring the good news that you no longer have to be afraid when you deal with God because he wants you to relate to him based upon what he is doing, not based upon what you are doing. And so often, if you will examine your heart and if I will examine my heart, the times where I am fearful before the Lord, it's because I'm looking at my relationship with him through the grid of how am I doing. How am I pursuing God? How am I doing it keeping the commandments? How am I doing it being pure? How am I doing it being holy? How am I doing it being righteous? And when I'm fearful before the Lord of going, oh God, I bet you're upset with me. Oh God, I bet you're really mad. Oh God, I bet you wish you could smite me. Oh God, I bet you wish that day that I was born never happened. Oh God, I bet you're really angry with me. That tells me something about myself that I am now trying to relate to God based upon what I have done and not what he has done. Because when you deal with God based upon what he has done, there is no fear. Because the angel showed up and said, I've got good news and it's for all people. Because God's now going to relate to people based upon what, who he is and what he's done. Not upon who you are and what you've done. The Christmas story is incredible. So some of you maybe right now are going, I'm fearful when I even think about God. I think he looks down upon me and goes, and I'd say it's because you don't know. And in those moments, I don't know 
that God has brought good news, that he wants to relate to me based upon what he's done, not what I've done. Verse 11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The angel does not show up and say, hey, born in the city of David today is a life coach. Today, God has delivered and he has sent you an accountability partner. Today, in the town of David, God has sent you an advisor. He has sent you a helpmate. He has sent you a spouse. He has sent you a boyfriend or a girlfriend. He has sent you somebody to help you know what's God's will for my life. But instead, God does what God does best, and he sends us what he knows we need the most. We don't need a helper. We don't need an advisor. We don't need somebody to just give us directions and give me clarity on majors. He goes, the thing that you need, the good news for all people, is that God didn't send any of those things. He sent you a Savior, because what you need more than anything is saving. And so they're sitting there in the field, and they're going, we're shepherds. I know, and this is good. I mean, I have to think this angel was just jacked up because he had to have just been for millennia going, who gets to tell the story? Who are you going to send to tell the story, God? Who are you going to send? And he goes, send in the angel. And he goes, today I'm bringing, like he had to just be going nuts of going, this is good news for all people because today in the city of David is born a savior. And that's what you need, world, is saving. You don't need help. You don't just need a little direction. You don't just need a little cleaning up. You don't just need a little buff here and there. You need saving, and he's born in the city of David. Because God knows more than anything, what you and I need is a savior. And so he sent him. And the great thing about a savior is this, that regardless of how you come here tonight, a savior wrecks your world. Because some of you tonight may be coming in here and you may be going, but you know, I'm pretty good. I mean, I grew up in church, and thank God that I did. And it saved me from a lot of bad things. Like I've never, um, you know, you go through that list of things, and you go, you know, I've never drank, and I, I don't smoke. Who does? And I mean, you know, and I don't get high except on life. And, you know, and like I don't, I don't, uh, I've, I don't have sex. I mean, come on, that's. True love waits. Honestly, it does. You know, it's like you just kind of do that thing with yourself and you tell yourself, I'm pretty good. You know, and I know that God loves me because I'm a good person. The problem with that is when the angel announces what God has sent, it blows your world up. So if you're coming in here today and you're a little prideful, you kind of think highly of yourself, the angel comes along and he says, hey, I've got good news for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. And if you're filled with pride, that word has to deflate you. Because no matter how good you think you are, the angel still comes with the message, you need saving. You need a savior. No matter how good you think you are, God knew you need a savior. So for those of you, for those of us that struggle with pride, the word Savior humbles you. It reminds you, no matter how good you think you are, you are in desperate need of saving. 
And others of you come in here and you're on the other side of the pendulum and you hate yourself. You beat yourself up over your sins. You don't think you're worth anything. And the word savior builds you up because it says, I know you think you're nothing. I know you think you've ruined your life. I know you think you've done everything wrong and nothing right. And every time you try to do it right, you only mess it up more. And every time you rededicate your rededication of your rededication, you just seem to be farther away from God. The word comes along and it says, and that's why you need a savior. Because even you who think you've messed it up royally, the good news is that there's a savior. So the beautiful thing about the word is regardless of where you find yourself, it meets you. And it calls you not to yourself, but to him. It calls you not to try harder, but to go, apparently God knew I need a savior. And that's good news for all people. And this will be a sign for you, verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. If that wasn't weird enough, verse 13, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, so this is when it really kicks in because before this, all the terrifyingness that was going on in the shepherds, all the, that was just, ah, angel. And angel was doing that whole deal. All of a sudden now there was a multitude of heavenly host. <laughs> okay, that's got to be incredible. And I almost wish, I'm, I mean, I'm thankful for classical music. I'm thankful for all that Handel's done for us. But I sometimes wish that we hadn't put some of the Bible to song because like I want to know what was it like when the angels showed up and they're going glory to God in the highest because we almost can't hear that without going glory to God, right? Like you hear that in your head. But I kind of want to know what were the angels really doing when they're going glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, these, these angels show up and if you put it together, it's amazing that one angel shows up and he says, I'm bringing good news for all people. And the good news is that you need a savior and God has sent that savior. The separation that causes fear in you and the desire to hide, God is remedying, remedying that himself. God is fixing it through Jesus Christ. He's your savior. And as soon as that happens, what scripture tells us is the heavenly host join in and go glory to God. Because as long as God relates to us based upon what he's done and not what we've done, he gets all the glory. Right? If, if God relates to us based upon what he's done, he receives all the glory. And the beautiful thing is that when God gets glory, men get peace. When God receives glory, men get peace. So isn't it interesting that the thing that we all deal with of being terrified that will be found out, of being afraid that God wants to smash us, the angels show up and go, no, 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 the glory of God removes that. As you pursue the glory of God in your life, peace is what you receive. Because when God gets glory, you get peace. How do I find more peace in my life? I do find myself being afraid. I do find myself not sure of where God is in my life. I do find myself 
timid at times to approach God. I do find myself afraid to pray to him, to approach him, to open my Bible because what it might say. I do find myself afraid. And the scripture says, then seek the glory of God because when God gets glory, men get peace. And so the most glorifying thing that God could do was to begin to relate to us based upon what he has done, not what we have done. Because when he does that, we have no option but to go glory to you, God, because you now relate to me based upon you and what Jesus has done. I got nothing, which sounds a lot like Paul where he says, what's happened to boasting? It's excluded. It's gone. I've got nothing to boast in except for Christ. There's no way that God gets more credit than when he acts the way he does. When he says, I'm going to choose to relate to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I've sent you a savior. So this evening, as we look at this story, as we see that God is going to get glory through Jesus, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself afraid of God? And maybe not so much in a way that you're like, oh gosh, what's he going to do? But in, in, a, in a real way, as you think about your relationship with him, you think of maybe not afraid, but you find yourself hiding. You find yourself really guilty. You find yourself avoiding him. I would say it may be just because you don't really know that good news has come for all people. And he wants to relate differently to you now. Glory to God and on earth peace. As we close tonight, we're just going to sing a song pretty simply that says, I now stand before God based upon what he's done, not what I've done. As you enter into this Christmas season, I really do hope that you'll think about how do I relate to God? Is it based on my merit or is it based upon what he's done? Do I really know the good news that's for all people? God, I do pray for us all tonight that the good news would be um, more than just a mental assent, that we wouldn't just mentally believe, yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world, that in our hearts you would help us believe that you have saved us from ourselves primarily, from the sin that resides within us. And because of that, even 1 John says, That perfect love, the perfect love that you have for us has cast out fear. And that because you do love us perfectly, there's not fear in the way that we relate to you now, but there's glory. We can now praise you. We don't have to run from you. We can run towards you. You are so good to us. The good news is so much better than we even can begin to imagine. And I pray that Um, in our lives, we would really start to believe and see that we're living, believing that you are good and that you relate to us based upon how you, what you have done, not what we have done. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name.
w e e 